This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Today, we are going to be discussing creativity in dispute resolution, and uh, we have just been blessed by the the ability to have uh, Phyllis Chang, uh, who is just one of the most amazing guests I think I've had on on the podcast. Uh, Phyllis has has excelled at every stage of her career. And for nearly seven years, uh, she was the director of the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, DFEH, which is the largest state civil rights agency in the United States. Uh, As director, uh, Ms. Chang, oversaw six and seven figure settlements, including the largest settlements in DFEH history. She was also senior appellate court attorney, a deputy attorney general with the civil rights enforcement section of the California Department of Justice, a partner with DLA Piper's employment practice, and a two-term commissioner and vice chair of the Fair Employment and Housing Commission Phyllis, welcome to Masters of Dispute Resolution, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let let me just let me just dive into this. As as a former DFEH director, you, you were responsible for overseeing a variety of cases. Uh, since the DFEH is charged with the protection of residents from employment, housing, and public accommodation discrimination, and hate violence. Um, As the largest civil rights agency in the United States, uh, you you were exposed to a wide variety of, um, of cases, and the agency put you in a position generally as advocate. Is, is that generally correct? Well, the DFEH has certain arms to it. There's the investigation arm, where at which point the department would be neutral to investigate whether there are meritorious claims. There is the prosecution arm, which is when there are meritorious claims, and these claims are ones that the DFEH retains, then we become prosecutors. So at that point, we're no longer neutral. Uh, We also had a dispute resolution component. I started the dispute resolution division at the DFEH, 
where we hired mediators, just like regular mediators uh, everywhere, to conduct confidential mediations, neutral, uh, at that time behind a firewall as well, to try to resolve cases before a, a right to sue notice is even issued and before cases are even filed. So there are all these different, three different functions. So, so in, in establishing that arm and, and that mediation uh, dis, and dispute resolution arm of the DFEH, um, you apparently had an appreciation at, back then as for the need to compromise to accomplish uh, resolution of DFEH cases. Absolutely. We received 140,000 complaints during my my tenure, my administration. Um, we filed 500 lawsuits. There are, as you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cases where they go out to private counsel and they're litigated. As, as you know, most cases end up being settled. So I wanted to develop a dispute resolution process at the very beginning so that um, these disputes can be resolved without too much trouble. And of course, the DFEH does not charge the uh, complainants for, for this kind of work or the, or the respondents for this kind of work at that early stage. So there are many, many good reasons why this was developed to help expedite the process and help bring justice as early as possible. Well, at, and in that in that process, uh, there were times when you would find yourself, uh, it, when I say yourself, uh, the, the DFEH would find itself, uh, although generally bringing actions um, rather than defending them, but on, on at least one occasion, uh, I think you related to me, um, the DFEH found itself defending a First Amendment free speech claim. That's uh, right. Which, which you came up with some creative solutions. Can you can you relate that to, uh, yes. to our audience? And I think it's important for people to know that I was a client. And um, although DFEH was most of the time the plaintiff, in this case, we were a defendant, it had to do with um, a housing discrimination or harassment case in which a homeowner put up signs throughout her yard, disparaging and dis discouraging the um, formation uh, of, of a uh, group home for people who had di mental disabilities or emotional disabilities in her neighborhood. So complaints were filed against this individual and my department investigated. And we found, at least the investigators thought that this was a kind of harassment against um, the group home. So we brought the, the, we started investigating the case and the homeowner sued us for First Amendment violation. And it just so happened that there was a Ninth Circuit opinion on record regarding HUD, which does the same thing, um, which basically protected homeowners' First Amendment rights in situations like this. So this case was in federal court and we went into a settlement discussion with the judge. Um, and at that time, um, of course, we were in the Great Recession. My department had very little resources. So um, we were able to, um, I wanted to settle the case, but there was a little gap at the end in terms of dollars. 
So I propose to the plaintiff side, would you consider settling this case for this amount of money? And if the department could name a First Amendment regulation under, under our jurisdiction after you. So that closed the case. And to date, the Julie Waltz First Amendment policy is still being enforced in the California Code of Regulations. Right. So, so the creative solution that you came up with there is really a, one example of what you do in your role as mediator now. Right. Um, so with, with the idea of coming up with creative solutions, you you draw upon your experience as a deputy attorney general, uh, as uh, as an appellate uh, attorney, uh, and and with your private practice in the employment area. Um, do do you see mediation of employment disputes being similar to uh, civil rights cases uh, as well? Yes, actually. The employment cases, civil rights cases, housing discrimination, reasonable accommodations cases, they all arise from civil rights uh, statutes to begin with. So they are very similar. Well, we are going to be taking a break, uh, and uh, you're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Our guest is Phyllis Chang, uh, and we are chatting about creative solutions uh, and how they're going to be applying to uh, those types of cases that you might be mediating. We'll be back in a moment. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Phyllis Chang. Uh, we're discussing a variety of matters uh, and and how one of the things that we just discussed was how civil rights cases uh, and employment cases may be uh, very, very similar. Can you expand on that a bit, Phyllis? Yes. Well, uh, employment cases, if you take a look at the federal law, Title VII, uh, it's really Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the Civil Rights Act spawned many, many different titles. Uh, of which Title VII deals with employment. Now, at the state level, we have the Fair Employment and Housing Act, which is even older than Title VII. So all of that comes from the same source, which is to eliminate discrimination in various arenas here in, in the employment arena. And one of the things all of these types of disputes have in common is that there is a need for you as a mediator to establish rapport with the parties. 
is is that something that that you begin with at the mediation session or before well i tried to establish a rapport with the council in in a pre-mediation conference call before but at the mediation, I always start with the plaintiff first because it's the plaintiff who brought the action. And I develop a, a, a strong rapport with the plaintiff because it might be the first time the plaintiff has really had a neutral here, his or her or their case. And um, it's really important to listen, to respond, and to um, develop a relationship at that point because ultimately at the, at the end, the plaintiff has to agree to the settlement. So I do that. I also develop a relationship and a rapport on the defense side. I use my experience as a former employer uh, to uh, to de develop that relationship. Um, so it, it's critical. You're right. Uh, developing a rapport with both sides would be uh, very important to resolving the dispute. Well, the the underlying reason for establishing rapport is rapport is to is to understand the interests and motivation of the parties, correct? Correct. Understanding that, uh, diagnosing their true motivations in the action, and then finding a way to resolve the dispute beyond damages. We all know how to resolve disputes based on money. Money is just a proxy, right, for resolving an, a very unhappy situation. and But sometimes money cannot completely make the uh, the solution possible, either because there's a gap in resources, there are different expectations. So I really try to, in addition to monetary resolution, try to find a way creatively to address the essence of the lawsuit. And and finding that when you say the essence of the lawsuit, you know, it, I, I'm a movie buff, and 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 the thing that 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 always comes to mind when I hear that is from the movie City Slickers, where Curly talks about the one thing that uh, the the essence of the case, um, I, going about understanding the essence of the case is something more than just understanding the law, correct? You're correct. I'm going to give you an example. Mm -hmm. There was a case I mediated and settled regarding a um, an employee who was terminated from her employer. And this employer happened to be an entertainment company that she was completely devoted to all her life. She collected everything the company made. She went to all these venues. She was This was a big part of her life. So when she was terminated, not only did she lose her job, but she lost this connection to some uh, an institution that meant so much to her own identity. So what she wanted from the employer was not only money, but gave the employer the option of converting those monetary uh, values to the same thing she would have gotten had she become an employee for life. So. Life, lifetime access to the venues, lifetime discounts to all the things that this company made or uh, uh, produced. The employer did not want to do that because it didn't want to make a precedence of doing that for all their terminated employees. So then at the end, we of course had a monetary gap. And I, I, I went ahead and I did something very unusual, the only time I've done this. 
I went to the employer's website and bought a gift certificate. And I gave that gift certificate from me to the employee. Basically, the plaintiff benefited both the defendant, because I bought it, <laughs> and the plaintiff, because she received something, but it was from me. And I said to her, I, I hear you. I understand how much this connection meant to you, although I could not make it happen from the employer. I just want to show you I understand. And, you know, everybody was happy and the case settled because it acknowledged the importance of this company's connection to that employee. Very, very creative. And I have never heard of that kind of solution. Um, but uh, that that also, it, it, it also illustrates your generosity of spirit uh, in addition to your desire to understand what truly motivates the parties. Um, you know, often employment matters involve complex factual bases, uh, and it's it's not always necessary to to gain an agreement on these are the things that happen uh, in in age or race or d disability discrimination, um, and but getting the parties to agree on the facts is not always necessary to get the parties to to fill the gaps. What can attorneys do to help you help them uh, fill those gaps? I think it would be it's very important for attorneys to be open minded and to be open to solutions beyond money uh, or even injunctive relief, because we can do it in mediation. We can come up with creative solutions there that we cannot have in court. No, it should be a solution that perhaps a court cannot order. Well, one of the things that, that I've run into uh, in, in terms of coming up with creative solutions is the, uh, as a matter of fact, case that uh, I did a few, a few months ago uh, where the uh, where, where one of the parties, the employer, uh, said, I'm never going to pay a penny to this employee. However, I will pay his children and and said, I'm going to make an offer to pay X number of dollars a month for two years to your children. Well, the problem that that created was that the attorney was not going to get there wasn't anything that the employee was getting. So that run, ran afoul of um, the attorney's anticipated uh, payment. Um, those kinds of situations where the attorney's interest uh, has to be addressed, at least, uh, do come up from time to time, do they not? Yes, they do. They absolutely do. Um, but uh, it's, it, that's why it's so important to have your client there and mm -hmm. to have people who have authority there who can hear and listen to it. Many times people have a greater understanding mm -hmm. of the party on the other side. And that understanding can foster creative solutions. Sometimes they can, they might just want to have a conversation privately, uh, away from the mediation, away from the lawyers. And maybe that's all it needed in the beginning to prevent the, the conflict from happening. But I, I absolutely agree that, uh, but thinking outside of the box 
thinking of people as human beings rather than just litigants. That's a solution. Right. Well, we're going to take a break right now. We are speaking with Phyllis Chang uh, about creativity in mediation and in employment cases. Uh, This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, and I'm Len Levy. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States, with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy and my guest is Phyllis Chang. Uh, We are, we have been talking about a variety of things, but one of the things that that always uh, that always impresses me is how we need to find off very often what we refer to in, in, as mediators as below the line issues, the true motivation, the real motivation. Um, and I think you have in, in our discussions told me of an example of uh, your discovering that. Can you read that to us? Well, Len, when I first started mediating, there was an octogenarian um, lady in a wheelchair. Um, She was in a wheelchair for many years. For the past 30 years, she had been taking the bus. And in early days, there was a lot less accommodation for people with disabilities. So the bus might have passed her by. There were no lift gates. There was just a lot less accommodation. And she felt really disrespected. So finally, now in her 80s, she got on a bus and there was a lift gate, but the lift gate crushed her foot. And when she complained, the bus driver would not call the paramedics. Now, it just so happens that this lady's... um, son was a music executive and he felt terrible that his mom not only had to take the bus all these years but her foot was hurt and she was so disrespected so he hired private counsel and normally these cases are not big cases but he they were they were there to uh, you know uh, make sure that that all her years of being disrespected and treated in this manner could be uh you know brought to justice so because the the statute had run for all these other years of of uh, of you know failure to accommodate to bridge the monetary gap, there was only so much that the case deserved, and so much a court would order. So I said to the octogenarian, the plaintiff, I said, 
you have a lot of good ideas and a lot of experience for bus, bus riders who have disabilities. Would you like to tell the bus company, which is a governmental entity, uh, about your ideas and how to make things better? She said, I would love to do that. So I talked to the, the defense side, and the defense side was completely open. So at the end, in addition to some monetary compensation, the company offered to chauffeur her back and forth to a high-level meeting with the bus dispatch manager, with the ADA coordinator, and another VP to hear her out on all her good ideas and how to make things better. And everyone walked away from the mediation happy, and there was a resolution that addressed the true motivation of the octogenarian, which is having felt being disrespected for all these years. Yeah, one of the one of the things that people uh, will often go into mediation with, and I've, I've heard attorneys tell their clients this. Well, this is a situation where everybody has to walk away unhappy. Uh, I, I've never I've never ascribed to that myself. Uh, I kind of look at it as a well, we can resolve, we can we can uh, settle the lawsuit, or we can resolve the conflict. Uh, we can actually do both. So not stopping at settling the lawsuit, but going into resolving the conflict. Um, led to one situation where I had actually resolved the lawsuit and nobody went home. I mean, who sticks around downtown? This is pre-pandemic. But who sticks around downtown and doesn't want to leave? Um, and uh, it, it was a dispute between two musicians over royalties. And it turned out that they hadn't they hadn't spoken for, for years and the attorneys didn't want them in the same room. But But getting them in the same room um, was something that one of the parties suggested uh, after I, I said, well, would you like to talk to him? Absolutely. Okay. Well, by the time we were done, they were talking about getting their families together for barbecues. Uh -huh. So approaching those kinds of cases uh, with the idea of achieving a resolution is something that you like to do is that correct that's correct that's correct may i give you another example sure business and professions code 17200 class action mm -hmm. there's an uh, uh, an older couple bought a mattress from a store i'm not even the manufacturer of the mattress mm -hmm. they also bought a couple of very high-end expensive sheets and they love their mattress they love the sheets after the first set of sheets were kind of worn out, they thought to themselves, you know, these sheets are very expensive. We're going to return these high-end sheets, and we're going to go to another, like a, um, a home store, and we'll buy cheaper sheets. So they did. But these cheaper sheets didn't fit the mattress very well. So when they slept by the morning, the fitted sheets were just all disheveled, and they never had a good night's sleep. Now, you would think that they would think that it's, it's the sheets. But in fact, their, um, her brother, who, who was her, the plaintiff's counsel, filed a class action against the company by saying the, the size of the mattress was misleading. And so this went to the trial court. It went 
uh, was a demur. It went to the Court of Appeal. And um, by now, the mattress company, not the mattress, but the company had paid $150,000 to to defend the case. They had to have experts on measuring mattresses. And finally, at the mediation, I said to the couple, what, at what point did you become unhappy with your mattress? If you got a sum of money, would you get a new mattress? Oh, no, we love our mattress. So I said, do you think perhaps it's the sheets? <laughs> so ultimately, in addition to some reasonable sum of settlement, I was able to arrange for the company to give the couple three sets of sheets in the colors they wanted. And they were very happy. And I never heard back from them again. And the case settled. That's a case that sounds like it may be in, in some people's minds much ado about nothing. But it, it certainly, when it's a class action and one party's spending $150,000 in defending that case, uh, it becomes a case that's that's more than uh, much ado about nothing. And, and coming up with the ideas that you did uh, does actually get rid of the, uh, resolve the conflict. So um, what do you do, uh, Phyllis, to, that, or what do you see attorneys do uh, on each side particularly well um, the, in advancing the interests of their client. Uh, th this is a this is a, a an issue that we're going to be getting into. We're going to take a we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to expand on that. So this is Len Levy. We're in Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips.io. I'm speaking with Phyllis Cheng. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest-rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Uh, I'm Len Levy, and this is uh, a discussion that we're having with Phyllis Chang uh, about creative solutions to uh, to mediation and um, resolving disputes. Uh, when we broke, we, we were talking about those things that attorneys can do that are particularly helpful and those things that attorneys might do that are not helpful, that might impede uh, resolution of, of a lawsuit. Uh, can, can you perhaps expand on whether you've seen both sides of that? Yes, um, I, I have seen both sides of that. Now, I think attorneys who treat mediation as an appearance in court, so, such that they are out there advocating for their clients to absolutely win, um, that is not helpful to mediation because that is not the form. 
The form is a chance to not do that, to sit back and think, what can I do to help my client resolve this case? And to really hear your client's concerns. On the plaintiff side, it may be something deeper than money. Um, Money alone is just a substitute for whatever was lacking in the beginning in in the substance of the case. On the defense side, of course, the defense counsel uh, wants to help may also win. But the important thing is to no longer have your clients spend the amount of money defending the case. So it's important to treat the mediation as a form, as a timeout to, to more creatively and fle- flexibly resolve this dispute. Now, um, I had a case in which uh, a professor had sued his uh, uh, university for um, race discrimination. And the case was settled. And however, later on, he said that the the university breached the settlement agreement in retaliation for his having, the case having settled. By now, the professor uh, had no longer, was no longer working at the university, was, was teaching overseas. But nonetheless, he felt very disrespected. And so I was able to talk to counsel about what might work to put this behind. The professor has a new life somewhere else. He's no longer teaching there. The university does not need to have this hanging over its head. So finally, in addition to some monetary settlement, I was able to uh, arrange other other, um, solutions as well. The professor had written a new scholarly book, which the university library did not have. So in addition to that, we asked um, the university library to purchase two copies of the professor's scholarly book and to put it in a a place where they could publicize it for a time, not forever, for a time, and so that it benefited the student body. So that became the solution, the key part of the solution to resolving a conflict in which the professor felt he was retaliated against for his race discrimination settlement, where the university felt, okay, fine, we're a university. We can take advantage of the scholarly work of the professor and show there are no hard feelings. So that was another way to resolve the case. The case had gone to the Court of Appeal. It had been uh, overturned and, and gone back to the trial court. Had the case not settled, it would have gone on for much longer and perhaps with further appeals. Yeah, it's very difficult in cases to uh, to sometimes to understand who might be, let's say, driving the bus with respect to uh, to the conflict. Um, is it your experience that it is uh, generally the client or that it is generally the attorneys or that there is no generally? I think there's no generally. Um, it just depends on the dynamics. So when I go into the plaintiff's room, I always try to see if plaintiff and plaintiff's counsel are on the same page. Sometimes they are, and when they are, it really works well. Sometimes they're not on the same page. You could have counsel that's very motivated to get that those civil rights attorney's fees. Uh, even if he or she were to win a, a, for a dollar, those fees can be quite high. Um, you could also see cases in which the attorney is, is interested in resolving the case because maybe he or she sees a weakness in the case, but the client is a difficult client to control. 
On the defense side, I find that counsel and their clients are usually on the same page. So I don't see the same kind of conflict there. Um, I also think that it's very helpful to have the adjuster there. Again, on the defense side, everybody probably speaks with one voice, but on the plaintiff side, it's a little bit more complicated. So ultimately, it is the plaintiff who has this decide to, to, uh, to resolve the dispute. And that is why having rapport with the individual plaintiffs is so important. Would you find that the rapport does not exist between the plaintiff and his or her counsel? How do you, uh, as the mediator, handle that? And second part, how do you how do you suggest counsel handle that when that occurs? Many times I will ask to put counsel in a separate room with me, especially if we're on Zoom, so that we can have a, a frank discussion. And I will say, look, this is not working. Can we try this? Can can you speak to your client about that? And then when we go back, then at least the counsel and I have an understanding. Um, there was one particular time when the plaintiff was willing uh, to settle the case, but her lawyers were not because at that point, which was very early on in the litigation, they claimed that they were going to charge you know, 40, 40% of the uh, settlement dollars uh, at that time, but almost no discovery had occurred. So the plaintiff was so angry at her lawyers that she kicked them out of the room. And she said, you you get out of here. The only person I trust is the mediator. So her lawyer said to me, you deal with her. <laughs> <laughs> but but we were able to, I mean, I did speak to the plaintiff. I did speak to her lawyers. And I asked if, if they would consider taking a slight haircut just because one of the partners had never even met the plaintiff and came to the mediation anyway. And they were willing to do that. And it was just before Christmas. So the case settled and everybody went away happy. Well, you know, one of the things that people coming into mediation uh, tend to think about in terms of negotiating is, is from a standpoint of we're going to be tough or we're going to be we're going to try to be cooperative. But there is a, a the, the way that you have been describing it is let's approach it as a problem solving exercise. And that kind of exercise is something that leads to settlements that are ultimately more satisfying. Is that generally correct? That's correct. Make the mediation your forum for problem solving rather than uh advocacy. We are out of time. And uh, Phyllis, I, I want to thank you very, very much for uh, for being our guest on, on, on this uh, Masters of Dispute Resolution uh, podcast. Um, as we wrap up, how can listeners contact you to learn more? Well, I have a great uh, case manager who is also the general manager for uh, ADR Services, Hayward. H-A-W-A-R-D at ADRservices.com. H-A-W-A-R-D at ADRservices.com. Thank, thank you. 
And um, I appreciate your uh, conversation so much. I, I would like to ask you if you would come back sometime in the future. Uh, would that be? Would I would be delighted. I would be delighted. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you, Phyllis, and thank you, Daryl Wayne, engineer. I'm Len Levy, and this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. Uh, And until we meet again, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com. Telephone him at 818-903-5562 or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.